Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with Privacy Mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course, present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh, there it is! Drawing board or... Miro! Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's won. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Warning. This episode contains foul language, mentions of sexual harassment, rape, and murder, and we don't have many nice things to say about men. Sorry. Podcasts for all things strange and unusual, historical and theoretical, forgotten and neglected, and sometimes we get a little fierce. Each week we get together to chat about something weird, and sometimes the weird part of the story is simply the fact that we don't know about it. This is going to be part two of our follow-up series to our snack pack in 2020. We're discussing women that our history professors forgot to teach us about. Women who fought for their country, women who did the right thing even when it meant certain death, women who contributed to science, math, and physics, and even some women who did bad, bad things. Ooh, but sometimes being bad can be oh so good. (laughs) So, (laughs) carry some extra maxi pads in that purse. Hold that door open and throw your jacket over those puddles, goddammit. My name is Ashley, and this is my co-host, Lauren. (laughs) Hello, weirdos. We are joined by the strongest of ladies, a foaming-at-the-mouth, man-eating feminist, our lady of Patreon. That's right. (laughs) Miss Amy Hanselman. There she is. Ready to rip some dicks off and swing them around her head. That's Uh, right. Hey. I would throw them in the trash. Right. (laughs) Or out the window of a moving car. What up, Lorena? 
<laughs> yeah, my love girl. Her. Bobby, <laughs> she's my girl. Oh, <laughs> so last week we talked about some ladies of World War II who were pretty incredible. Lauren pretty is phenomenal. actually starting us off this week with something a little bit different. Listen. Um, but someone who I think we all should know about. Well, it's funny because it's somebody you should know about, but it's somebody who is kind of nameless, but is amazing at the same time. Yeah. I'm excited to hear about this. I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, exactly. So I am, the reason I was giggling when you were doing that introduction is because I am just the queen of taking like such a hard left turn and going (laughs) to something so dark. (laughs) And, like, it still stays on topic, but it, it gets very dark. It gets a little murdery. It gets, yeah, it's it takes the Lauren turn. Nothing wrong with a little murder. But also. Well, no, oh, that's well, not true. Okay, well, well. Nothing wrong with a little murder, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. There's a lot wrong with Change murder. Change your opinion. However, but also, I wanted to say that for this week, besides getting a little dark with it, I also... Went to a little more recent history. We were talking about World War II last week. This has happened, the story I'm about to cover, in the 2000s, in the early 2000s. But still, it is a new story that I didn't hear anything about. And I just, I think it's fascinating. And I think that, obviously, as we've been saying, that women need to be heard. Women need to be talked about. And the women that just have the strength to do some of these things is amazing to me. So... We're going to go over to Mexico in 2013. So there was a murder that happened at 7.45 a.m. on August 28th, which I thought was interesting because it's the 29th today. Look at us. Interesting. Hopping right back. Oh. I know. 7.45 a.m. on August 28th. It was on a bus route for bus number 4A. And that morning, a woman had hailed the bus climbed the steps, and pulled a gun, shot the driver dead. Wow. The driver, well, I shouldn't say shot the driver dead immediately. The driver, with the bullet in their head, still was kind of flailing about, was able to jump out of the bus trying to escape, but died almost immediately on the sidewalk. So quite a sight to see if you were riding that bus, if you were anywhere near. Bloody, shocking, what is going on? The killer... This woman, witnesses said, was a middle-aged woman with very clearly dyed platinum blonde hair. Could have possibly been a wig or a cap, but it very much seemed like it was just some hair dye, wearing a plaid shirt and jeans. And that was all people got on her. Nobody saw how she escaped, or at least nobody was willing to say, but she fled the scene. She got away. Nothing more was said of it. Everyone was tending to the driver. And so they didn't have video cameras. No, nobody saw at this particular stop where this woman got on. There was no camera footage. It was just only witness hearsay. Okay. Then the second murder happened just 24 hours later on the exact same route. A woman boarded the bus downtown. We are in uh, the city of Juarez in Mexico. Oh, dangerous. Very dangerous. A woman boarded the bus downtown and a few blocks later requested a stop. She walked towards the exit and motioned as if she were looking for the bus fare, but instead drew her gun during the distraction, spat some words into the driver's ear with a little whisper, and shot him twice in the head before fleeing the scene. Once again, like something out of a movie, 
what is going on? Yeah, what has what just in happened? The world? She got away. And then one day later, a news website from El Paso called La Paloca, which specializes in covering political gossip all about Juarez, they received an email. And the email said, You think that because we are women, we are weak. And that may be true, but only up to a point. Because even though we have nobody to defend us and we have to work long hours until late into the night to earn a living for our families, we can no longer be silent in the face of these acts that enrage us. We were victims of sexual violence from bus drivers working the night shifts here in Juarez. And although a lot of people know about the things we've suffered, nobody defends us nor does anything to protect us. That's why I am an instrument that will take revenge for all women. For we are seen as weak, but in reality we are not. We are brave, and if we don't get respect, we will earn that respect with our own hands. We, the women of Juarez, are strong. So that email came through, and the email was signed, calling herself Diana Hunter of Bus Drivers. Oh, and oh, man. I was like, I'm obsessed with that. No I, like, shit. That sounds like a tarot card. That sounds like a Game of Thrones thing. <laughs> yeah. It does. The dragons. Hunter of Bus Drivers. Hunter of Bus Drivers. It totally does. And did you say tarot card, Ashley? Yeah. Yes, I love. I thought the same thing. I was like, "Did you pull Diana Hunter of bus drivers?" <laughs> because that says you are about to have the most courageous day of your life. You're gonna take some steps in your career. No, I I totally had that same thought. I just love. I love it. I love that they gave themselves this name, that they went for it, and that there was this this brave female getting on the buses. Well, it's also very intriguing because this is not usually a woman's behavior no it's not that women don't murder and it's not that women don't you know like do acts of subterfuge but they don't usually you know write letters to the police essentially and do vigilante justice so it's fascinating right yeah, we also just don't typically shoot people. Yeah, it's not yes. usually our MO. But and when you first started saying it and you were like, Oh, it looked like she was wearing a wig, I was like, Are we positive this wasn't a man disguising mm-hmm. himself as a woman? Mm. <laughs> I of course had that thought too, but all of the witnesses yeah. are so, so positive it was a woman yeah. just by like okay. the figure, the size, everything. Even if there was a wig involved, this was a woman. Okay. So this was happening in August of 2013, as I said, like these exact days, the 28th and 29th, which again is just crazy that we're recording on these days. But um, at this time, this was 2013, 2014 were kind of the years where disappearances of women were finally coming to the news, coming to the police, coming to just public knowledge, because as you as you reacted when I said Juarez, Ciudad Juarez, that is just known to be a very dangerous area. You know, like drug cartels, the crime. It It is a dangerous city, but the disappearances of women were completely overlooked for decades. Where it was like, there was only focus on really the, the drug rings and the crime rings. And it was sort of like, oh, another woman went missing. <sighs> we're not going to talk about it. Like, we have we have other things to worry about. And so... 2013 was finally the year where law enforcement was starting to say, I think some of the disappearances we're seeing with women are 
connected and maybe we should look into it. And suddenly the tides were turning and like things were starting to make a change, which, you know, way too late, but at least something was finally starting to happen. At least someone's paying attention. Yes. So people started recording the disappearances of women around this time and considering them, you know, to be related, as I said, it really started with a 13-year-old girl who was kidnapped and then found dead with signs of sexual assault and strangulation right around this time in 2013. And after that, a number of women being killed just kept growing, I say, quote unquote, or again, just kind of happening in more public places. So it went from dozens of reported murders a year to hundreds and so many women that it was hard to count accurately. And in 2010, the number peaked at least 304 women were murdered that year. And that's when people were really, you know, just starting to think about starting to talk about it. I'm sorry, really quick. This is Justin Juarez. Yes. Yeah, and Juarez is small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Isn't that's that crazy? crazy. I did a report in 2006 about the number of women who went missing or were murdered in Juarez, Mexico. It was my senior year. We had to do a project for Spanish class and we had to do it in Spanish. And I asked if I could cover what is, you know, what was being called the serial killer of Juarez, but it was not one person. It was Mm -hmm. just the fact that missing women and murdered women and raped women got, I mean, there was no danger in doing that to a woman because it was so obviously not investigated, not persecuted, not whatever. And like there, even in 2006, you could Google online images of missing posters of women, yeah, like on on posts and, and on polls and stuff in Juarez. And it was terrifying. And that was yeah. years before the events you're even talking about. I mean, it's just, yes. it, it's wild. It's terrifying. It really is. Amy, did you have a question? No, I asked it. Amy's oh, mostly okay. just <laughs> upset. Okay, I was just making sure. <laughs> I, as you I'm should, I'm just mad. Yeah, I yes, it's it's. You so know how I feel about women. <laughs> Amy's like, can I uh, can I interject real quick? Yeah, yeah. What's up? I'm um, just wanted to tell I you hate guys, men. I'm really upset. <laughs> I'm just really upset and fuck all men. Okay, great. Let's sit down. <laughs> I think we should rip their penises off and throw them out the bus windows. Let's do it. Diana's yes. trying to get some work done. Diana. Here. She's trying. So the circumstances of the crimes, you know, as they're starting to come forward, we're finally starting to talk about the crimes, the disappearances of these women. They were always similar. It would be one day a girl was on her way to work or on the way home. And if there was any news about her, it would be that her body was found in the desert or in an abandoned parking lot. There were traces of sexual assault or torture, and they were sometimes even found together in mass graves. It was, it's so upsetting. I know it is so dark, but the reason this is important is because it was always about the commute to work, the commute to school, the commute from work, from school, whatever. So then people are starting to look at bus routes and bus drivers Mm. and how close these are related. And a man named Oscar Maynez, who was working on some of these cases as a criminologist, was explaining to authorities and to media outlets just saying that everyone was trying to deny the problem at first, or then it was played down, 
And finally, it became blaming the victim's lifestyle, of course, course. tales all this time, and their families. Yeah, those 13-year-olds, you know how they're always getting themselves murdered. Seriously. It just like, yes, of course, we're going to victim blame. That doesn't make any sense for these young women. But that is what was happening. And this criminologist, Oscar, he finally resigned because he was saying that all of his superiors just wanted to cover up the investigations, tamper with the evidence. They had no interest in finding justice. And he was one of the few who actually wanted to find answers while everyone else was just saying, let it go. Let's do this, blah, blah, blah. So then Diana comes forward trying to do something by herself. And this Oscar guy, he got so excited and just saying, like, I know that I shouldn't be rooting for this, especially as a man studying like, <laughs> criminology. But he was quoted when he talked to uh, This American Life, another wonderful podcast we all know about, um, just saying that, like, this is kind of what the women in Juarez were waiting for. They were looking yeah. to Diana and saying, it's about damn time. It's about time someone did something. Anything, truly. Like, for the people looking for justice, this was sort of an amazing moment. So, again, a few reporters went to Juarez and were like, I want to talk to the women. I want to see what's happening. And a lot of women were reluctant to, of course, talk to a stranger. And, you know, they don't want to get involved because, again, they think their life is on the line. But the few women who were willing to agree to be interviewed were basically saying... I cannot wait to congratulate this woman one day. Like, I hope I meet her. I am so excited that somebody is doing something finally for us. And funny enough, a lot of the women that were speaking up were women who either had kids already or were pregnant and expecting. And it just showed kind of the mama bear soul that was coming out in the city in 2013 and 2014 of just like, I want my kids to be safe. I want my body to be safe. I want my children to have a mother. So I am so here for this woman. But generally, the population was saying that buses are a bad place to be by yourself if you are a woman. And right before this happened, there were a couple of murders that specifically happened like by bus drivers. It was it was confirmed. And we don't know if the bus driver's killed by this blonde mystery woman, Diana, the, you know, the bus right. driver hunter, but uh-huh. she could, I don't know if they were actually doing anything, but it seemed that she was just out for revenge because of the things that had been happening for years, but also in recent time, um, these women were saying, hey, I have a friend, I have a sister, I have so-and-so who was hurt by who I know is a bus driver and I can't do anything about it. Um, There was one young woman named Laura. She had a daughter and then was pregnant with another child when she was interviewed. And she said that her sister, Maria Alejandra, a 20-year-old, had just suffered a home invasion just weeks before this happened. A man slipped through her bedroom window in the night, armed with a gun, tried to sexually assault her. She recognized him from living in the neighborhood and, you know, called him out by name. So he, he left her house and she went to report it to the police, but... Nothing happened. They basically just sort of said, okay, well, you know, tell us what you can, but there's not much we can do. Like, there's home invasions all the time, blah, blah, blah. And they also faulted her because she only had like one bruise or one little scrape. She didn't have enough defensive wounds. She didn't have enough to do a full investigation. And this Laura woman who was being interviewed said, I basically 
realize that my sister had to have been dying for them to investigate her. Like she, yeah. she didn't have enough scrapes for them to even take her seriously. And that was when she really started to get infuriated. So that is why she was happy when this person came forward. Well, I think that's an that's an attitude that you can even see in our country right now where people have been like, well, I've never had a negative experience with the police. So yes. obviously, you know, it's blown out of proportion when all these people say they have negative experiences with the police. And then all of a sudden it right. happens to you and you're like, but what? But wait, I. Yeah. But I. But this doesn't yes. happen to people like me. It happens to people who are troublemakers, who are causing problems, who are breaking the law, da 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 da. And it's not until it actually fucking happens to you that it's that slap in the face where it's like, oh, it is incredibly dangerous. Yes. 100%. And no one is going to help me if I need help. No one's going to do anything about it. It turns out that the victims are the ones going to jail, too. Like, that is what was happening mm -hmm. in Juarez was then eventually... You know, Laura's getting angry, her sister's getting angry, like the friends are getting angry, all of it, but nobody can do anything because they know if they are causing too much of a stir, they are actually going to be going to jail and they're being threatened by some of the law enforcement. So it's just, it's only getting worse. They don't know what they're supposed to do. And the only time that it seemed like there was any promise was in 2001, police did apprehend a bus driver named Victor Garcia Uribe. He was arrested with a colleague and accused of murdering eight women who were left Whoa. in a oh mass grave in an old cotton field. And he denied any involvement. But after further questioning and long hours of, in of interrogation, he did finally confess to taking part in the murders and in the murders of three other women that hadn't even been discovered. And he even confessed oh to enjoying the murders and being under the influence of drugs like cocaine and marijuana and drinking a lot of alcohol and saying that he just felt, you know, infused and like he could do anything and he he enjoyed it. He straight out said he enjoyed it and that right. he threw them in an empty field. He thought he could never be caught. And I'm sorry to stress such a dark part of the story except to say that he did confess. But yet two days later in court... This man did a complete 180. He decided he wanted to deny it again, that he was not involved at all. He said officers kidnapped him and forced him to say it, took him to Which, a police academy and tortured him. And that does that happen. He, it does happen, but not to the point where people say, yes, and I enjoyed it. And yeah, give and all I of these liked specifics. it too. Yeah. I liked it. And this was how I felt and all of that. Because, yes, I had that same thought too. Of course, those forced confessions happen but not in this case and he said he was beaten and tortured and you know he was burned with cigarettes and convinced to say it and so the judge still wanted to convict him and sentence him to 50 years but he got off with a lesser sentence i think he was you know convicted and said to serve 30 years after the fight that he went through but then just years later, in 2005, none of that mattered anyway, no matter what the judge thought with their gut instinct, because in 2005, this man was completely freed, let go what? of all charges, no sort of parole, and it was believed that authorities had indeed tortured him into confessing because he had such good behavior that it just couldn't have happened. So he was let back out into the world, and again, the women of these cities in Mexico, because it was happening in the neighboring cities too, were just saying like, nobody is fighting for us. 
So just kind of back to then um, 20. I'm so sorry. Can I just interrupt to say that I am very upset? <laughs> That's what happens when I tell these stories. I know. I don't have anything to add except that I don't like it. I know. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get like past the dark happening. parts. I had to give the backstory, which no, is so dark sure. and awful, just to say that this Diana, the hunter coming forward, was so big for the women. And even though what she was doing was absolutely just in cold blood, completely illegal, wrong. it was very wrong. But <laughs> the vigilante supporter in me just wants to, like, give her the biggest hug because these women felt like they had no voice. And somebody finally just said, fuck it. Like, Enough. I am going on this bus and I'm getting rid of these murdering bus drivers because, again, even if not every bus driver is a murderer, of course, it was such a known thing that getting on the bus route, especially as a woman alone, allowed the harassment, the catcalling, the inappropriate right. touching yeah. It was still so dangerous in other ways, even if you weren't, you know, actually being physically hurt and killed, but you were still being mistreated in so many ways that it was just like, enough is enough. Finally, somebody is coming forward. And so many of the women who were interviewed, again, mostly mothers, saying, like, I I wish I had these guts. I wish I had the balls. I want to have the strength, but I don't. And I'm so happy that this woman does and she's standing up for us. And what's great about it, even though the story is short, we don't know who this woman is. She has never been seen again since these only two murders that just happened in the light of day in the public. What she did started this kind of tidal wave reaction where bus drivers were terrified yeah people, people had started to think yeah. twice yes like the crime the crime didn't you know drop again this was a dangerous city that had crime in many other areas but the crimes that were going along the bus routes and being kind of cast aside these bodies being thrown aside to the side of the road those went way 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 down which is incredible that was a huge thing because those were the most mysterious and just kind of out of nowhere and how do we even track this type of crime. So those were going way down. If you were a woman who got on a bus, a lot of times bus drivers were turning to you saying like, oh, you're not, you're not Diana, are you? You know, almost joking, but also shaking in their boots. Yeah, but also like uh, Diana could fuck be around on bus. and find out. Yeah, fuck exactly. Out exactly. Yes. <laughs> and some of the women were like, I would just respond. Yes. Or like, oh, well, don't test me, you know, kinds of things where they were the women were starting to feel a little stronger and more confident too to stand up for themselves and say, yeah, don't question me, I could be Diana the Hunter. And women were just starting to feel more safe on their bus routes working those late night shifts providing for their family. Bus drivers had sketches of what they thought were, you know, what they thought was the look of Diana the Hunter. They would have a sketch kind of on the windshield. They were giving everybody the once over because they were so scared. And it was just an amazing thing to see that at least this one portion of the city, this dangerous part was able to slow down and kind of come to a screeching halt eventually. And it's, it's really amazing that like this one woman, this woman with the mystery name because she wasn't doing it for the fame, was able to do it. And uh, there was a man in the media, I think it was somebody who was investigating during it, maybe he worked for NPR, but he said that while he was riding the bus route during this time and 
you know, kind of trying to get some intel. He just kept thinking about the words that Diana the Hunter used to these bus drivers and to the second bus driver on the morning of August 29th saying, Ustedes se creen muy chingones, meaning, you all think you are so tough. The last words right before shooting the driver twice in the head and running away. (laughs) These words were just ringing out. And this reporter was like, man, now I see why all the bus drivers I've encountered are so quiet, are keeping to themselves, are not messing around. Because there truly was a fear in the air. And we don't know anything about the email. You know, people have done their best to try and investigate it. But this Diana has remained a mystery all these years later. And for anyone who doesn't know, Diana, this name, Diana the the Hunter is uh, actually the goddess of women and childbirth, which I didn't know. Who, like many other Roman gods, acts out of basic human feelings, you know, that is their motivation. And so these human feelings were rage and revenge. And uh, on one of Mexico City's most famous streets, there is a statue of Diana the Hunter. And there's a replica of it outside of a restaurant in Juarez. She's muscular, strong, holding a bow with her arms stretched back, about to shoot. It is an image of strength. So it makes sense that... This name was chosen to shine to yeah. sign the email like, Diana, Diana Diana Hunter of Bus Drivers, baby. Wow, I'm obsessed with her. Yeah, the only thing that I'm worried about is that I really do hope that the bus drivers that she shot in the head were like doing bad things. I hope they weren't just like, you know, chill bus drivers who were like, oh, come on, lady, this is just what I do for my job. But also... How is it in what fucking world are the bus drivers so powerful that the police are like, mm-hmm. no, we can't must we can't mess with the people who make slightly above minimum wage driving a bus all day? Are you fucking kidding me with this shit? <laughs> well, right. I think that it was just simply that men are so powerful in yeah. Juarez, yeah. Mexico. And um the women were just a second thought. That's a situation where you don't really think that you're in danger yeah Yeah. i mean i think a a lot of people actually do but like you don't you don't suspect it you don't suspect Mm. that the bus the bus is the place where especially i mean if it's a whole operation if it's not just the bus driver but also like a gang of men who do Mm -hmm. this to women and all they have to do is ride the bus late at night and once they get one or two or three women on the bus all they have to do is pull over and do whatever they want with them yep and then discard and yeah the bus just kind of became the way and yeah sort of what i was saying earlier not all of the bus drivers were murderers but Mm -hmm. like sexual assault and sexual harassment were very very popular on the buses and a lot of drivers took part in it especially late at night when it was just a couple of women or sometimes one woman riding the bus home and yeah there just there wasn't there wasn't enough proof there weren't always witnesses sometimes these women were alone and it was just it was an easy place these women were an easy target they could be overpowered and so, yes, there is the thought of maybe these bus drivers who were shot in cold blood were not, you know, the actual complete villains, but it seemed like most of the bus drivers had a hand in some of the crime that was happening. And I think Diana got fed the F up 
and took charge. I mean, but amen, sister. I get I it. Know. I'm happy somebody stepped up. It made it made for some change, which is exciting. So should I? I mean, that yeah. went on longer than I thought. Should I go into my next little thing? Yeah, you might as well. Okay. So while we're on the topic of vigilantes, I did have one more much shorter thing that I wanted to talk about that, again, I hadn't heard of, and maybe you guys have, but have you heard of the Gulabi gang out of India? No. Obsessed. Obsessed. So the streets of Banda, I believe is what it's called in Uttar Pradesh in India. Um, Mm. This has always been an area just filled with... Domestic violence, sexual assault, poverty, it's its always been known for this with little to no police support. So very okay. similar to Juarez over in Mexico. But in the midst of such chaos back in 2006, the Gulabi gang was able to form, which is this amazing group of women. So basically, this is women who are clad in Gulabi, as they're called, or pink saris, as we would more know them. Um, just all in hot, hot pink. These women wield bamboo sticks as they accost <laughs> male offenders. <laughs> yes. And this they are the L Woods of vigilantes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. They really are the L Woods, the hot pink. <laughs> Um, And this time, Amy, you don't have to question. They are absolutely going after male offenders that they know are criminals. That is who they are going after. Um, Most, if not all, members of the Gulabi gang are of, you know, women who have been through this before, this type of assault, or women who have family members who have gone through it, and they come forward and they assist every woman throughout Banda. And the gang was initially created... Back in 2006, but it was created to just punish abusive husbands mm-hmm. or, you know, fathers, brothers, in an effort to combat domestic violence and desertion of the family. But now this has grown so much just since 2006 that they have various stations kind of set up all over. And I think even in other city cities now and going kind of all Love throughout it. India where there is a commander that takes care of the problems of the women in the area through word of mouth or, you know, through whatever, and they send it out to their team and they will go in and take care of really anything, anything a woman is going through. A lot of it has to do with, you know, abuse and coming after the men who have hurt them, but also taking care of if there is a food issue in the family, if, you know, they're in poverty and they can't afford anything, they're providing the food, they're providing essentials for you know, uh, reproductive health, any of that. They're coming in and just taking care of women, which has not been a a thing for many, many years. So when a woman comes to any station of the Gulabi gangs, again, now there are many stations, they will come, they will narrate the story of her abuse or whatever the issue is. If it is serious enough, the police are immediately notified. They are called. Mm. Authorities are called in. But if the police fail to take charge which happens, unfortunately, more often than not. The Gulabi gang takes over. Often the gang accosts male members and calls upon them to understand their wrongdoings. And if the men do not relent, or if they try to resort to force and fight back, they will be publicly shamed or beaten with the bamboo sticks by these women (laughs) in all hot pink circled around them. Uh, Hot pink. 
to this day, the gang has over 200,000 members. No And they way. receive oh support from women of each of these districts throughout India. They are given support. They are given money, whether it's, you know, kind of under the table, like don't tell right. my family I'm doing this, or just outright. There are women even in, you know, higher positions throughout the city who are like, yes, do what you're doing. And they will carry them their bamboo sticks and walk in large groups. And they prevent men from being able to successfully retaliate against these women who have been hurt. And they've started to offer cost-effective services such as henna application, tailoring, flower arrangements, and providing their members with some sort of source of income, kind of career coaching, whatever they need to do to sustain their lifestyle and to keep going on and take care of their family. So this gang has started with what was just retaliation against abuse into we just help women with whatever yeah. they We just need, want to better the amazing. lives of women. Yes. Are they so known? Cool. They are. You know who they are, like, as people, as yes. individuals? Okay. Yes. It's not like Diana. No, where she okay. was going totally secret. So this was another, but the reason I brought it up is because it started as a vigilante service yeah, where sure. the woman who started it was staying hidden and just mm-hmm. kind of, like, beating the shit out of people with bamboo sticks. But once it <laughs> caught on that other women wanted to take part, now it's grown to what it is today. And I know that some of the women will hide their face for their own safety, but, like, they are out in the open. They're sure. walking around. They're trying to stay relevant. They're they're being protected somewhat, which is amazing. And yeah, their scope has now expanded to domestic violence, child marriage, dowry deaths, and even just access to education in general. They are all about human rights and encouraging men to get involved in activism. That is what I love about this, is they are women who are mostly helping women, but they're not just out here saying all men suck. They are you know, accosting and confronting the men who do indeed suck and need to be checked. But they are also saying, hey, if you believe in our cause and you are a man, come get involved in us. Yeah. In us. Sorry. Involved with us. In us. In our organization. But they're encouraging men to get involved and some men have. And I think that is one of the coolest parts is that these members have been able to recruit some men to help out with the cause, even if it's just financially and they are supporting them, and it has grown so much. And women have been able to engage in undercover projects to bring government corruption to light, mm-hmm. even in, okay. in 2000. Like, it is, it has gone so far. And in 2007, the founder of the gang, who now has come forward, she was originally, again, you know, kind of trying to be this, this secret vigilante, but now her name is uh, Sampat Pal Devi, She, in 2007, heard that government-run stores were not distributing food and grains in a village fairly. So, you know, due to widespread poverty, hundreds of families who were depending on this food to survive were left empty. And the Gulabi gang observed the shop undercover and found evidence that the store was shipping the allocated grains to open markets to make a higher profit. Wow. And they were able to report the store to local authorities And even though they were ignored at first, it eventually was able to come to light. The problem was solved. And that's when they started to kind of come into the sun and say, we are the Gulabi gang. We're fighting for justice. Here we are. And they became more well well known and still are alive and working today. So they are fighting the good fight. It's very, very cool. Started as, 
you know, a vigilante woman and has turned into hundreds of thousands of women fighting in their pink saris for justice. I could see something like this happening in the United States. And, And we do have different ways, you know, for domestic abuse situations. We have different like hand signals, for example, that women can show in like online videos or in the store that that represent hello i need help i'm in a situation where i can't ask for help but i could see gangs like this or organizations like this popping up in our country like it's not as severe and open uh the abuse on women but it's still pretty prevalent in the united states so absolutely I'll put on some hot and pink gangs and rise up. beat you with Get a bamboo it. stick. I don't give a shit. Oh, yeah, my gosh. We are, are going to yeah, need more bamboo. Like... We don't have a ton in this country, but it grows like weed. So once one person grows it, they can just give it to everybody. That's true. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Let's pass on the bamboo. Let's get it started. <laughs> it hurts. I've been hit with a bamboo stick. It is no fucking joke, Why? Man. Who hit you with a bamboo? Yeah, Ashley, why did you hit with bamboo? I mean, Tell listen, us your story. I do stuff sometimes, and you guys, <laughs> you guys think I have that a life outside of this podcast and, and read weird occult books. But what do you do besides do watch stuff. Netflix and read weird occult books? Um, no, it was, on set. it was on set once and there was a scene where um, people were like fighting with bamboo sticks and I it was like a it was some sort of fighting movie. I don't I honestly don't ever think it was even released or it was one of those, you know, how like sometimes movies come out and then they make like a cheaper version of the movie. The one I can think of is like sure. Pacific Rim came out and then all of a sudden there was like Atlantic Rim, like hoping to trick people <laughs> into renting these yes. fucking movies. But it sure. was like that. It was a fighting movie and it was like in a dojo. And there were these bamboo sticks and we were supposed to like jokingly like, huh, 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 like in the back, like way, way background. So you couldn't see that we were really horrible and not fighters. And uh, the one of the bamboo sticks hit my forearm. I'm not kidding. The bruise that I got from this bamboo stick. And this is how I know it was a shitty production because no actual production with yeah. actual money would have real bamboo sticks. <laughs> and hand them to extras <laughs> and be like, here, hit each other. Oh my god. It gosh. was a sketchy day on set. Uh, that is Lauren, a very I, sketchy day. I know. But I was like, I'm honestly not was crafty on this production. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what were you served for food? It was uh, one cup of ramen for the entire <laughs> Yeah, the entire group of extras. It's Fight so over funny this because cup you're of ramen. You're telling that story and I like should maybe respond in shock and awe, but instead I was just shaking my head silently like, yeah, like that's yeah, another that day being an extra. Right. <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, yeah, bamboo hurts, so watch out everybody. Watch out cuz we're coming for you. I Thank you. you know me. And good I night. super agree. I think we should hit all men <laughs> with <Hell> bamboo. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. Except for Wilder. Wilder Ooh. can be spared. Except but for Wilder. I don't know because he really has been pushing buttons today. Lord, uh, so not even just today. I said today politely, but it's it's all the time. But yeah, <laughs> maybe just a light a light like brushing of his knee and say, yeah. "You know what's coming." And then or, that's it. and then I run away. Or drug him and throw him in a bag in a sack 
And put them in the sewer. Plug them and throw them in the sewer. Uh, to listeners who don't remember from last week's episode, <laughs> that is a callback to last week's episode. This is not, Ashley, was it just like, put your baby in a sack? I know. Yes, we need to specify that that was a callback if you didn't listen to part one, because, oh, man, the people that would come for Ashley, right? they ever listened to. They'd be like, oh, God. what? I'm going back in time. This is actually someone I've just recently become very much so obsessed with and also pretty angry for, but that's to be expected during these special lady episodes. So I wanted to teach you guys and our listeners about Mileva Marich. She was born in Serbia in 1875. Her father was a wealthy and respected member of the community. She had two siblings, and uh, she attended high school in the last year that girls were permitted to in Serbia. And in 1892, her father, who was a wealthy and respected member of society, obtained an authorization from the Minister of Education to allow her to attend physics lectures that were reserved to men only. Now. We do have to introduce another key player in Maleva's story, someone you definitely do know, her future husband, Albert Einstein. Ever heard of him? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Continue. Anyway, so we all know Albert Einstein. He was a physicist, blah, 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 blah. Sharp dresser. He, sharp dresser. Sharp. Great Stuck hair. his tongue out in that one photo that we all loved to <laughs> post. <laughs> the two of them met in uh, the physics and mathematics section of the Polytechnic Institute in Zurich in 1896 with three other students, all male. Uh, and one thing you should know about Albert Einstein is even though, yes, he was brilliant, he was also pretty unfocused. He was described as being very bohemian and pretty rebellious. And that did not change when he met Maleva, uh, but she was so methodical and organized. She literally made him the man we know him as. And they became inseparable. They always did their studies together. He actually didn't attend much of the lectures. She attended <laughs> all of them, and she helped Albert focus and channel his energy into physics. Could you imagine how infuriating that would be to be the reason that Albert Einstein is considered th because you let him borrow oh. your notes oh. for five years? Just wait. Amy, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> let me just tell you about like their scores. This was 1900. They reached the end of their classes, had pretty similar grades. Malena or Maleva, sorry, had a 4.7. Albert had a 4.6. In applied physics, Maleva got the top mark. She had a perfect five. Albert Einstein received a one. <laughs> no. She wow. excelled at experimental work and Albert just didn't get it. And Here's where we can start getting angrier and angrier. So they were a pair. They were in a relationship. Maleva wanted to marry Albert, but Albert's family strongly opposed. His mother especially didn't like Maleva. She thought she was too intellectual. She wasn't German. She wasn't Jewish. And she had a limp. Like, no way. Didn't want to part Oh my of her. God. What a yeah. bitch. Yeah, not the best. <laughs> And Albert's father was a little bit more reasonable. He simply insisted that he find work before he get married, which is fair. I think that's a good yeah. rule of thumb today. Mm -hmm. Figure out your own shit before you get married and, and have to figure out shit with another person. 
So that's what he tried mm-hmm. to do. They both returned to Zurich in 1900 and started working on their thesis, and every other male student received assistant positions at the institute. Maleva obviously didn't because she was a woman, and Albert didn't. Supposedly, according to him, it's because the professor didn't like him. But also, maybe it's because he got a one in applied physics <laughs> and notoriously yeah. Yeah. didn't attend the lectures. Right. I don't know. Maybe it's because of that. It could have been. been. I mean... Here's the thing. Maybe that's why his professors didn't like him. I know. The two things can be true. Yeah. Yeah. They go. He's hand like, hand. I didn't get a job because they don't like me because I'm. It's like, because well, why? You... I mean, because you were a fucking well, slacker. You did a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he didn't have a job and he refused to marry Maleva, but they obviously continued to live together and work as they had before. In December of 1900, they submitted an article, a pretty famous one. It was even sent to Carl Jung, who was one of the most influential physicists in Italy at the time. But they only put Albert Einstein's name on it. No one knows the exact reason, but historians speculate it could be simply that Maleva wanted Albert to make a name for himself. Because if he did, he might get a job and they'd be able to get married. But also, there was a pretty obvious bias against women at the time, so a publication co-signed by a woman may have carried less weight, and she might have just been like, hey, don't put my name on it, no one's going to take it seriously, it's fine. Uh, Life gets a little rough here, we'll kind of skip over it. Um, Basically, Maleva got pregnant and... Basically begged Albert to marry her. He still said no. She had the child. What a dick. But no one knows what happened. They think maybe she was put up for adoption. They know it was a girl, but no birth or death certificates were ever found. So that's kind of a mystery. But finally, uh, the next year after the baby was born and, and given away, Albert Einstein got a job at the patent office in Bern, Switzerland, uh, which now is like famous for being the patent office he worked in. There's a museum, whatever, whatever. He began his work there in June of 1902 and finally married Maleva. And Ooh, basically what would happen, he put a ring on it is he would work a six-day work week in the patent office while Maleva assumed the domestic shit, you know, working around the home. But in the evenings, they got together and they would work on science and math and physics and all the things I hate more than anything in the world. Sure. And (laughs) (laughs) they would stay up late, late, late into the night collaborating. Um, They had a son in 1904 and then... Boom, 1905, Einstein's major, major year. He published five articles this year. One ended up leading to the 1921 Nobel Prize, and another was a pretty famous article on special relativity where he presents the equation E equals MC squared, which is what he is Uh, literally known for. Now, his name alone was on these published articles. And it pisses me off to no end that we can't retroactively add her name because obviously I know why her name was left off in 1905, but it is a fact. It is not a question. It is a fact that she was his other half in life and in work. And she actually might even be responsible for more than 50% of the work on these. Can I just interrupt real quick to say that I am upset. (laughs) <laughs> i are you don't like where this is going and uh-huh. um 
It does get worse, and I'm sorry. But we know this from historical letters written to and from Einstein. We know this from testimonies from other people in their lives, relatives, friends, coworkers, colleagues. Maleva's brother Milos Jr. stayed with her and Albert many, many times when studying medicine at a university, and he reported that they would sit together and calculate and write and debate all night on physics problems during this time of writing these articles. Albert himself said out loud to groups of people often, I need my wife. She solves for me all of my mathematical problems. She would proof all of his articles as well. So even if he had written something on his own, she was the one that would solve the proofs. She was the one that would you know, edit them. She did more than 50% of the work. It's almost guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Even when he began to lecture at university, pages and pages of his lectures are in her handwriting. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. She wrote them. She 100% was responsible for the work that gave us all of Einstein's greatest achievements, including some of his patents which she and Albert worked with certain people, like, for example, in 1908, her and Albert worked with Conrad Habicht, constructing an ultra-sensitive voltmeter. And uh, since Einstein worked for a patent patent office and he was, you know, quote-unquote, a patent expert, she left him to develop and register the patent under his name and Habicht's names, leaving her name out altogether. And before you think, oh, she's just being sort of tossed to the ground, whenever she was asked about this at the time, she would reply with why the two of us are but one stone, which was a German saying, just saying, like, we are one person. I understand. Yeah, but it's why his does the one person have to be Albert? <laughs> well, yes, because exactly. like like she said, if her name had been on it, there's a chance they wouldn't get published. Yeah. Mm. She just knew. She's like, well, so you have to get the So she was like, he's my there. husband. He's my partner. Everyone knows this. Like, I'm okay with my name not being on it. We're still changing yeah. the world. And mm-hmm. all of this, it does suck for women and women's history. But you think, you know, at least Maleva was happy. She loved working with Albert. She loved that he was getting all of this recognition. And she did publicly say she worried about his fame she once said um in a letter i only hope and wish that fame does not have a harmful effect on his humanity but it did because in 1910 when they had two sons albert had very little time for maleva with all of his success and he started having an affair with his cousin elsa <sighs> Classic, classic cousin, classic cousin affairs. Yeah, first cousin. No. Yeah. Well, it was good enough for the Roosevelts. That's true. (laughs) Eventually, he asked for a divorce from the woman who gave him literally everything, literally every single thing he had. The world. She finally, in 1919, agreed to a divorce with a clause stating that if Albert ever received the Nobel Prize, she would get the money. Now, ask me if she got the money. She did not. No. Did she get the money? No, she didn't. He did receive the Nobel Prize, uh, but he wrote in his will that the money was his son's inheritance. Maleva strongly objected, stating the money was hers, and told him she considered revealing her contributions to his work. But she ended up keeping her mouth shut because Albert sent her a letter that read, 
You make me laugh when you start threatening me with your recollections. Have you ever considered, even just for a second, that nobody would ever pay attention to you or your claims if the man you talked about had not accomplished something important? When someone is completely insignificant, there is nothing else to say to this person but to remain modest and silent. This is what I advise you to do. Wow. Good guy. Okay. You know what? I used to really like this movie called QI, and it was like in May 1994, and it's very cute with uh, Tim Robbins, and uh, it has Albert Einstein in it. And I think you'd really like it. And Meg Ryan and uh, Walter Matthau plays Albert Einstein, and I used to really like that movie, and now I'm very mad at it. (laughs) And now I hate it. I'm just mad at Albert in general. I hate Albert Einstein. I hope he gets hit in the dick a lot in in the afterlife. (laughs) He needs to get hit with bamboo. In the afterlife, get hit with the bamboo he's stick. getting hit with bamboo by many hot pink wearing. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Lady physicists. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lady physicists. I love it. Unfortunately, uh, Maleva lived the rest of her life struggling. Right mm-hmm. after the divorce, she had bought two small apartment buildings and pretty much made shit money off of them, but enough to at least eat and care for her sons, who Albert also left. She eventually lost both of those buildings because her youngest son, Edward, developed schizophrenia and had to be institutionalized. And the medical expenses became too much, so after she lost her son to mental illness and her income, she survived by giving private tutoring lessons, and on the meager alimony that Albert Einstein sent to her very irregularly. I'm sure you're not surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, we all know what happened with Einstein. He's one of the most famous theoretical physicists in history, with his most famous contribution to science being the theory of relativity, which he proposed and published in 1905 and again in 1915, without Maleva's name on the paper. So... Mm. In no way do I discredit Albert Einstein. He was obviously one of the smartest men who ever lived. His own brain was taken at his autopsy without the family's permission in hopes that we could study it and find out how it worked that way. But history has yet to teach about Maleva Marich Einstein, the woman who should be credited alongside Albert for his greatest contributions. Yep. She absolutely deserves more they credit. They need to share and- this. No, this should it could just be hers. Be yes. He wouldn't percent. have done anything. He couldn't even go to class. I know. She did his homework for him. She did his homework. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, if you go, like, his- historians, there are books written on uh, uh, Maleva. So if you actually want to know details about her, they are available. There have been biographies written about her. But pretty much everyone in their lives would tell you that she she was the one like yeah albert was brilliant too they were both incredibly smart they were in a program that was only offered to five whole people like they were very smart people but she was the brains of the operation and so we're giving her the credit and that is why this episode is happening need to know about these women you need to know about albert einstein's first wife Mm -hmm. and he ended up marrying his cousin what a piece of garbage. Yeah. And his son just sort of died in a mental institution. He kind of didn't have anything to do with him. Oh. So. Well, well. Well. 
What Men. 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 This episode especially, Men. like last episode was really sort of like inspiring. And this episode was just yeah, like, men, huh? We, cool. Oh, we always men. do this. We can't live with Where them. there is just right? a darker episode. God damn it. Fuck <laughs> the bad jerks. I know. Lord. <laughs> Fucking jerks. But uh, that's all the time we have this week for Keep It Weird. Thank you so much for joining us. As usual, to learn about weird things or to learn about things that it's weird you haven't learned about yet. And a huge, huge thank you to Amy, Amy Hanselman. Thank you for joining us for an episode series on the main pod. Oh my god, it was so great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> I love talking about men who are dumb and bad. Yeah, of course. <laughs> if you love Amy, and let's be honest, who doesn't? You can hear her just about every single month over on the Keep It Weird Patreon page. She is my bonus episode co-host. And we have a lot of fun, and you get to hear us go on a lot of tangents. You can sign mm-hmm. up for our Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast. And there you can donate to our show and get some cool stuff in return, like bonus episodes and a newsletter that we send out every month. Also, please follow us on social media at Keep It Weirdcast across all platforms. And by platforms, I do mean Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. But we're also on TikTok at Keep It Weird Podcast. And we rarely Ooh. post. But hey, maybe if we get we're a lot of followers, <laughs> it will encourage us to post more. Who we're knows? try our best. Life is hard. Come on, Jenny. Amy. Follow our TikTok. <laughs> do you have a song for us today sure. in your soul? We're going to find out. As All right, usual. here we go. I love it. Oh, great. Love it, love it. Albert Einstein was a real butthole. <laughs> Don't mess with bus passengers or Diana will steal your soul. You better watch out or I'll hit you with lots of bamboo. And if you recall the last episode, then you should also be very nice to Jews because it's important to be nice to everyone. Unless that is a murdering bus driver. So watch out and always care your mace so you can spray all the bus drivers in the face and keep it weird. And keep it weird. Keep it weird. Hitting record officially. Bop, bop. Amy and I have been recording forever. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry about it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I did. I did a test and then turned it off for no reason. I could have. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whew. Okay. Now we're in. <clears throat>